Well, good morning, church. You guys doing all right? <laughs> I get it. No, I get it, really. Like, I'm not even, like, disappointed. Like, what? what's wrong with you? I mean, it's 2022, right? Yep. It's about right. It's just weird. Like, it's just weird walking into this year. I don't know about the rest of you, but it's been kind of weird. And, and so it's interesting because uh, as we walk into this week here at Mosaic in our rhythm throughout the year, this week is sort of set aside uh, for us to talk together uh, about what we are going to look forward to and what God is calling us into as we look forward into the next year. So this is Vision Week, and we sort of uh, each year uh, go to God and say, God, wh- what would you like for us to focus on or, or fix on for this year as we enter into a brand new year? Because regardless of the transition, when we move from one year to another in our cultural context and in our human rhythm, it is a natural and good place uh, to sort of make a transition and and ask, what what, what do I want to take with me? What do I want to leave behind? What do I want to walk in with? And how's that all going to go? So we do that each year. But but this year's tough uh, because walking into 2022 just feels weird. Have you been watching the, the memes about walking into 2022? They've been hilarious and kind of weird. Like you usually expect memes when you're talking about New Year's with like fireworks and like partying and like yay and like new. And and this this year it's not like that. My two favorites so far. uh, One is there's a there's a picture and on the top half of the picture you have John Travolta sitting in a car out of the movie Grease. You know what I'm saying? And like, he's got a smile on his face and the girl's next to him and they're rolling and it says, entering 2020. And then the next picture is out of Pulp Fiction with John Travolta in the car and the girl next to him with dark eyeshadow looking serious like entering 2022. I mean, I feel like, yes! My favorite one so far is, you know, in Star Wars, uh, you have those big, um, uh, uh, what do they call them? All-terrain armored uh, uh, troop carriers. They look like dinosaurs and they're giant. Like you sh- It's the ones where he flew around in the first one and like, the thing fell down. There is a meme, right? With Luke Skywalker standing in this picture with the sunset behind it. And he is teeny tiny in the picture. You barely notice Luke in the picture and he's got his little sword and there's this giant all-terrain armored thing coming toward him and it just says ready for 2022. And I'm like, it feels a bit like that. Like, oh, what's gonna happen? So how do we walk into a year like that? And, And then here's what was the weirdest thing of all for me. As we began to pray and think about what God might be calling us into this year as a church and, and, and setting our focus on, one thing became very obvious early on uh, in the process of praying through that. So before the Christmas break, when we were talking about this weekend, something that was clear on my heart and, and, and clear on where we wanted to go is this idea of just kind of turning a new page, you know, like setting behind us what's behind us and and moving into something new. I just feel like there is this sense like everything is is tied to us like a big giant thing we're dragging along and it feels a bit like we're dragging all the baggage from 2020 and 2021 into 2022 with this trepidation about what we're about to face, rightly so. And so there was this real sense of like, man, it's time to turn a page. 
It's, it's time to forget what is behind and press on toward what is ahead and toward, toward the goal that we have. That was abundantly clear. The trouble is that sounds like ro romantic craziness. Like I'm like, great God, that's wonderful. Turn the page, make it all new. How? Like how, how would we even begin to do that? Like we have no idea what this is gonna hold. What's it all gonna look like? How's it all gonna play out? And so that has been my wrestle throughout the Christmas journey, throughout December is, is wondering, God, uh, how do we turn a new page? What does that look like? What should we look to hope for, step into? H how do we engage in this concept of forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead? And so strangely enough, as God sometimes just does in his beauty and grace and sense of humor, uh, is that he takes the circumstances of my life and, and he plays into those circumstances some of the clarities that I need to kind of see, oh, that's what you're talking about. And this particular year, uh, he used a short, brief couple of days in our Christmas break to show me some profound things and lead me here where we land today to say, this is what we step into as we turn a new page. So this Christmas break, um, all of our kids uh, came and descended back on our home uh, and descended is a mixed word. It sounds beautiful and, and, and terrible all simultaneously because the reality is, especially in large family contexts, but I, I think across the board, there is a collision in that reconvergence. Uh, the children that are in school that, 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 go, that go off and, and, and either engage uh, in their work at home or they go off to school and you have this uh, brevity of what we might call what was once normal, right? Before children came in and, and, and did their thing. You, you have that rhythm. And then some, in, in my world, some of our kids are now in college or post-college. So they, they go do their thing and then they all return. And you sort of are reminded with a, with a sudden instancy that there are dynamics that were in play when all 10 of you lived in the same house. And some of them were really wonderful. And some of them were really not wonderful. And when they come back in, it's not that any one child or adult in the home uh, brings a terrible dynamic. It is that there are 10 of us and we are human. And so we come in with all these personalities. And so the, the, the Christmas break begins and it was fine. And we're doing our thing and we're in our home. We have some outside space. And so we're all making it work, right? Uh, we're, we're encountering the beauty and then we're having the brutal moments. So we got some space to kind of, oh, off you go there. No, no, I'm leaving. And many of them now have these things called driver's licenses and cars. And so now you're also like, you have that dynamic, like you came home to see the family but you are not ever here. But then when you are here, I'm thinking maybe you should go see your friends. And so how, how do you do that, right? I mean, just, it, the whole thing's complicated. And so we had this idea that toward the end of the Christmas break, between Christmas and New Year's, that we would take our family and we would go to Ponce Inlet near New Smyrna and go to the beach for a couple of days because that's what you do in Florida in the winter in the frigid 69 degree weather is you roll out. And so at a certain point in our vacation where things 
had sort of gotten to that point where the complications are now fully ensuing in our home. And I'm a little frustrated and like, oh my gosh, are we going to survive until the end? And, you're, and, and Brooke said to me, you seem a little off. And I'm like, look, I just got to get from here to the end of this vacation. She's like, that's a, that's a terrible attitude. And I'm like, it's my attitude right now. I don't care if it's terrible. And so as we're having this conversation, I said to Brooke, so let me get this straight. Our brilliant plan for this vacation is to take our family of 10 that, that kind of are just you know, doing their thing and stick them in a little beach condo on a beach in the frigid cold all in one single room so all the kids can get on their phones and be addicted and you can tell me how terrible it is that they're addicted and they can tell me how terrible it is that you're watching them all the time and I can tell all of you how terrible it is to be in this family. Like this is our big plan. Like why would we stuff us into a dangerous little box and do a three-day human experiment and see if we survive? And so Brooke was like, maybe we should cancel the beach thing. And then, of course, my dysfunctional optimism comes into play immediately when the word can't comes up and goes, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I think it's great. I'm just saying out loud that it's going to be dangerous. And so we decided to go on our little beach vacation. And when we did, it was during those three days that God decided to use that space that felt so overwhelming in some ways to show me with such clarity what it is he means when he tells us, forget what is behind and move forward to the calling I've set before you. Turn the page and move into what I have for you. So it all happened sort of around the beach because I would go on walks on the beach in some regularity just because it's nice out on the beach and you go on walks because you can, or perhaps because you have to get out of the little house. Um, and so we were all doing lots of walks and it worked out really well. So first of all, something really crazy happened. As we went to the beach, because we had this clarity that it might not go well if we are not careful, we made plans ahead of time. Brooke planned uh, the board games and um, movies that we're going to watch, and we, we planned walks, and we planned meals, and we did those things so that when we got there, we could constantly engage in, hey, let's all do this, and let's all do that. And so because we did that, the three days at the beach actually went really well. Like everyone had a good time and we connected well. I'm not saying every minute of every day. So if you're hearing like, oh my gosh, their family's perfect. No, I'm talking about moments within other moments that weren't so great. But at the end of it all, when you look back over three days, we're like, this was a big win. Like there was a big win for our family. All our kids together here, they kind of went, you know, it's an hour and 20 minutes away. So some of them had work and they drove here and it was nice to have little breaks and then back in. It went really well. And God just kind of did this little nod at me where he was like, see, when you look at something and it just looks like a armored transport coming at you and you're like Luke Skywalker, like, ah! sometimes I see differently. Sometimes you just don't see at all. And if you don't see me, then all you'll see is the armored transport and you will not go in well. So first God was just like, remember that there is nothing that you walk into as uncertain as it may seem that I am not certain that I am certain about and I'm going to work through. So it was beautiful. Just this little like nod, like see. But then as I went on my walks on the beach, things began to happen. So, so one one uh, day I was walking on the beach. It was toward the evening. 
and, and I was looking out into the ocean and there were a couple of people surfing because uh, that's what you do uh, on the beach at the ocean there. And this wasn't a great wave space. You know, sometimes uh, our East Coast can have really great waves and sometimes not. They weren't great waves, but man, they were out there, right? And so they're sitting out there. You know how surfing goes when there's not great waves. You're out there for like four and a half hours and you catch two waves, but it's worth it for those two waves. So they're out there and they're drifting. And it was this serene, beautiful picture. Like the sun was starting to set. And I'm looking at these surfers, three of them, just like bobbing up and down. And then they catch a little wave and like, oh, four and a half seconds. It's so beautiful. Uh, and, and you're watching all this happen. And you realize just what a profound and beautiful and calming and right and good thing it is to be able to get out on the ocean and surf. And then it, it dawned on me, I wonder how all this began, this surfing thing. Because think about it, right? You're standing on the beach one day and you look at the ocean. And what does the ocean do? Right? The ocean has this rhythm of pulling and pushing. And when you go in just deep enough, you feel the pull. And if you're not used to the ocean, it pulls your feet right for out from under you. And then you're like, like drifting. And then you know what the ocean does when it pulls your feet out from me? It takes these things called waves and it throws them at you to try to cover your face so that you drown. And then after you're exhausted and you can't swim, it drags you out into the deep so that you can go where the sharks are and they can eat you. Like in many ways, like if you just think about the ocean for a second, it's kind of like that. It is a dangerous and crazy thing. The first encounter you have with the ocean, if you're a brand new person, you're like, oh, it's the ocean, it looks so lovely. And you run in and the first wave hits you, you don't think, I want to surf. You think, I want to run. Because it's, and you know, you go to the ocean and what do they say? Riptides, if you're in a riptide, be careful. It sucks you in. And, and the way, and so you're looking like, whoa, it's crazy. And then there's these things called sharks and it turns out they're not just in the deep where the ocean sucks you into. In New Smyrna, they're right there in the waves. Like literally my daughter, Hope was out walking one day. She found a starfish. So she picks it up and went to go throw it back in the ocean. She's knee deep in the ocean. How do I know this? Cause she has a video. And she's like, oh, look, a black tip, literally a black tip shark swimming. And she's like, I mean, you see the video, like, and it's splashing in the wave, trying to get through and off it goes like a five foot black tip. Now we didn't go nuts and like, oh my gosh, there's sharks in the water. We were like, that's amazing. You know why? Because it's the shark capital of the world. Like we knew they were in there. Seeing them doesn't make something that was true more true. We're like, yep. They're black tips all the time. What do we do anyway? We go in and we swim. Now, some of you are like, that's it. No one told me I'm never going in again. Give it time. You will. Because that's what we do. You see, somebody somewhere thought it would be a great idea when they looked at all this danger, the waves and the currents and the sharks and the big blue ocean and the deadliness of it all. And they thought if we take a piece of wood and we stick it on one of those waves and we stand up on top of it, it will push us back to the beach. Let's try. And it worked. And now when we go to the beach, you know what the best part of the beach is? Year over year is getting those boogie boards. When we go to the beach, if we don't have boogie boards, my kids are like, what is the problem? 
because the best photos I have of the years at the beach, the best things we do are in the ocean, on the boogie boards, on the surfboards. There's nothing I love more than sitting and watching the beach and watching several of my kids bobbing on their surfboards and then catching a wave and, and, and making their way in. It's beautiful. We took something that in every sense from our observation had a set of brutal realities and somehow innately we worked our way into finding what was amazing about it and utilizing and living in that amazing. I was walking on the beach one morning fairly early and there were these fishermen out, you know? Like it was early, like the sun was just, I was out because I'm like, it's just got to start the day there. And there's these fishermen out and my first thought was, why? Why are you out here this early? And then I realized when I look at fishermen on the beach, you know, I don't think to myself, how, how sad that these people can't afford to eat. And they have to come out here on the beach early in the morning and try to catch their fish while we can just pop over to the grocery store. They have to come and catch their fish. And then, and then if they happen to get lucky enough to catch one, then they can have a meal for their family. That didn't cross my mind because people don't come on the beach to fish because they have to. They come on the beach because they like to. How many of you guys love fishing here? Totally. It's amazing. I don't get it. But hey, we'll I, I think fishing is amazing. And when you watch it, you see what an incredible experience, whether on the lake or in the ocean it is. But when you start thinking about it, I mean, I watched these guys. I walked down the beach and back and the entire experience, and there's four rods, you know, standing and them standing with their arms crossed, just moving from rod to rod. And then it goes, bleak, bleak, and like, it's like, you see the adrenaline flow and like, bleak, bleak, bleak. no, no. And at one point, one of them caught a fish. I mean, it was like watching the greatest exhilaration on planet. Like, and the thing came out. It was like literally this size. Like, and then he took it off and he's like, oh, and he threw it back. And I'm like, what is going on? Now, I know what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible experience. But man, how did, we, how did we come to take this thing that must have been a huge challenge, not being able to, trying to figure out how to get fish out of the ocean, and it became like a recreational, soul-soothing experience. It's just kind of what we do. You know, uh, on the beach in um, New Smyrna and, and Ponsonnet, when the wa wave goes back, there's all these little muscles uh, in the sand. I don't know if you guys have seen these, like there's thousands of them and then it goes back and little muscles and they spray water out and they disappear into the sand and, and then they come up. I was walking one afternoon watching these muscles and, and it dawned on me that we eat those things. Maybe not those little ones, but I mean, you, 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 I mean, have you ever had like clam out of the half shell? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Let me just start with shrimp before I touch clam because clam is a whole different ball game. Well, last night we had Cole's birthday dinner. Uh, my 14 year old turned 15 and he wanted uh, shrimp Alfredo for his birthday dinner. So we had that at home. So we're all enjoying shrimp and I, I'm eating these shrimp, you know, and shrimp, very good, gr grilled, uh, so good. But as I'm putting each one in my mouth, it, it dawned on me, I'm like, who decided the first time that this was a good idea? Have you ever seen a shrimp in the ocean? It's like a cockroach. No, like legit, I'm not like trying, trying to be funny. Like it's on the ground and it like moves like a cockroach and it's like, and it's got like, and when you look at it, you're like, oh, it needs to die. And it eats all the junk on the bottom of the ocean. Have you ever in your kitchen ever seen a cockroach and thought to yourself, you know, if we break the shell open and we pull from the inside and we cook it up in some good spices, who knows? It might taste good. No, 
So how did we do that with a shrimp? Like, oh, look, there's a monstrous cockroach on the bottom of the ocean. Let's catch it, break its shell open, cook it, and see what happens. And now we eat them like they're amazing. I mean, I was at an oyster bar recently with some friends, like oyster, one of those bars where you have all, all the oysters around, and you got all these shells with oysters in them, and you pick them up. And I mean, I, I like an oyster bar. I enjoy oysters. But oysters in the hard shell, it's like, it's like taking a tissue, blowing your nose, sticking it in a shell, and going, let's eat it. Like, really? No, no, it just is. Like, you can say whatever you want, and here's what we do with it. We're like, wait, wait, it's so good if we douse it in hot sauce and lemon. If you put enough of that stuff on, the sandy, gritty taste that comes with the snot is so good. I'm like, hey, just put the hot sauce and the lemon in your mouth and you'll be, you'll be good to go. But yet we stand around and we have such an enjoying a social experience around oysters. And the first time you ate them, let's just be honest. If you're like, I liked them the first time, it was because of peer pressure. Because you were with these other people that seemed like this was the best thing since sliced bread. And they're like, it's so good. And you're like, if I don't like it, I get rejected. It is good. Can I grab the hot sauce? But now it's something you enjoy. Like the whole time at the beach, I was walking around and God was just constantly shoving my way. Look at how something that at first experience or first glance just seems challenging, uh, unsafe, not good. And yet somehow you humans, I've wired into you in this beautiful way as part of the image that you carry of me to look at things that are challenging and to begin to find in them the things that you can extract that make them redemptive. It's not that that's all we do as humans because we are a mixed batch, us humans. Sometimes we do terrible things and sometimes we find one wonderful things because God is wired into us part of his image, but we also have sin. And so it's a back and forth. But when we get it right, it's just neat to watch. There are some people surfing, fishing, and eating snot, and it's so good. And God was like, no, like this is possible every day, regardless of circumstances, to see and experience and enjoy the things that are around you. So that was great. That's all like circumstantial. But then I walk into the beach house one day and there's this, there's this board in the beach house on the wall, like, a, you know, one of those picture frames that has a quote in it. And, and the quote in it, I hadn't noticed before, but I just noticed it. It was from Lamentations. Why would you put a verse from Lamentations on a board in the first place? And why would you put it in a beach house? Do you know what Lamentations is? It's a book in the Bible that comes right after Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was captured by the people that he was told by God to go give God's message to, they stuck him in a hole. They tied him up. They tried to bury him. It was terrible. He was the laughing stock of the people. And it was a horrid experience. The circumstances were so low for Jeremiah that he wrote an entire journal entry about how miserable he was and how miserable God is toward him. He literally said, you stab me in the kidneys. You rot my flesh from my bone. Your wrath is my... Like, you're, like, you're kidding. I'm, I'm going to read it to you in a second, so you're going to find out. <laughs> Lamentations is a lament. It is like Jeremiah's way of saying, my life is terrible. And it's terrible. And it's your fault. Literally, that's what he writes. 
So this board's there, and it's a quote out of Lamentations chapter 3, which is like the worst chapter of the Lamentation. You're like, no, it's not. Yeah, no, no, listen. Just buckle up for a second. Welcome to 2022. I told you it was a mixed batch. Here we go. This is sort of the the monster or the Pulp Fiction side now, okay, in in the memes. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, the um, people that put these Bibles together, they decided to title this particular chapter, Great is Your Faithfulness. You're like, oh, a chapter that's going to be fun to read. Great is your faithfulness. I'm ready. I am the man, verse 1, who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Great is thy faithfulness. God has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me while bitterness and tribulation is my lot. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. <clears throat> I'm going to skip a little part. I'm going to go to the next best part. <laughs> this is my favorite. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I told you. Literally, he says, God stabbed me in the kidney with a quiver. That's how it feels. I have become the laughing stock of all the people, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has salted me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me lower than ash. My soul is bereft of peace. The word bereft means absent completely of. You could say absent of peace, but he's like, no, 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 no. It's not absent of peace. That would be ridiculous. It is bereft of peace. I have none in my soul. I have forgotten what happiness is. He literally wrote it down. This is in the Bible about God. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I lay my endurance has. So as I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. That's Jeremiah chapter three. Great is thy faithfulness. So why would you title a chapter like that? Watch, watch. Now he says this. Verse 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. He says, the wormwood and the gall, he says, and he says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So he says, God, I need you to remember my affliction because frankly, it's all I think about every day and I am bowed down by it. Okay, welcome to the last couple of years. It feels like it's not that bad, right? Like that's, that's good. And then this is actually the verse that was on the wall in the beach house. So now you're like, oh, it is a nice verse. Yes, because listen to what it says. Literally the next verse, he says, but this I call to mind, Jeremiah says, and therefore I have hope. Now that's a really big statement because what we ought to say is, hold on, time out, time out. You just laid out some of the most horrific description of circumstances in which a human can exist. And you even made the point in the Bible that you can't lie because it's God's word that you feel like it's kind of his fault, right? 
I mean, this is, this is Jeremiah, the whole shebang. It's terrible, and where are you? And then your next thing is, but I call something to mind, and because I do, I have hope. What is this thing you're calling to mind? Like, I want to know. Like, if that's what it does in those circumstances, I want to know. Take a look. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See, what Jeremiah says is, everything I've just described in Lamentations 3 is true. My life feels terrible, overwhelming. I am sinking under its weight. My soul is bereft of peace. So what is my response to this? I will call to my mind this. And there I will find my hope that God is unceasing in his faithfulness, even when everything around me seems to tell me otherwise. I get to do this because I know God, Jeremiah says. Isn't it funny that these verses we encounter, like new are his mercies every morning. Did you ever think that was in Lamentations 3 in the middle of this circumstance? See, I always heard that verse, his mercies are new every morning. Oh, what a lovely verse. It must be somewhere lovely in the Bible. It's not. It's in the worst chapter of the worst circumstances that you can find in the Bible. And he's like, but yet there he is still. See, in this little space in Lamentation, he says next this very interesting thing. <clears throat> he says this, But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. His steadfast love of the Lord is never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will have hope in him. Now watch this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, what, what Jeremiah is saying is, in the immediacy of my circumstances, I have no reason to see that God is good and faithful and will save me. But what I know is that he will. So it is good for my soul. Listen to what Jeremiah says. It's good for my soul to be in these kinds of circumstances and yet have to wait to see God Bring me to salvation. Do you know why? Because if I only experience God's faithfulness when the circumstances tell me he's faithful, and then I don't when they don't, I don't actually trust in God. I trust in my circumstances. But when I'm in terrible circumstances, and yet I say, yes, I am. No, I mean, I can cry out like Jeremiah. But it is good for my soul to say, yet the Lord is faithful now and will save me yet because he always does and he always will. Now in the New Testament, what the authors of the New Testament had that Jeremiah didn't is they had a global and eternal expression of his salvation. So Jeremiah was circumstantially, he's gonna save me and he's promised that there's a Messiah coming at some point that will save us. You with me? So it's good for us to hope for that. But by the time the New Testament authors are writing, one of those is taken care of. You with me? Their circumstances were still as uncertain as ours, but they did know that Jesus did come and God did fulfill the grand and mighty promise of his salvation. Did he not? 
So the authors of the New Testament give us an additional piece of the puzzle. They say, where Jeremiah said we had reason to hope in the Lord despite circumstance, and he didn't even know the fulfillment of Jesus, we have reason to trust God in our circumstances because we do know the fulfillment of his promise through Jesus. We have more reason to say, I will call to mind. And so the authors of the New Testament write this. In the book of Philippians, the one that we're in, that we'll get back to next week, listen to what Paul writes. <clears throat> Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He's talking about a context right before, which we'll get to in the next few weeks. But listen to where he goes with this. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now listen, this is important. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the onward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't press into a new year saying, hopefully this one will be better. Do you hope it'll be better? Yes. It's not a trick question, folks. We don't live with a God that says, I hope you suffer and you're miserable. Do you hope this year is better? I do. But what if it's not? That's okay. Because I don't place my well-being on the hope that 2020 will turn into 2021. It'll get better. That was a big mistake. That 2021 will move into 2022 and it'll get better. Maybe we'll know by the end of 2022. But if not, what the author says here is, you're not pressing on toward the goal of better circumstances. You're not pressing on toward the goal of greater stability. You are pressing on toward the calling of God onward to be the person you've been called to be. And then he says this in chapter four, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Notice in this passage, Paul doesn't say this. Come on, guys, everything's praiseworthy. Come on, guys, everything's excellent. Come on, look around. He's not a dysfunctional optimist. Like, look, it's beautiful. No, he's, he's actually very realistic. He says, if as you look at your life, there is anything, anything that is praiseworthy or excellent or just or right or good, is there? Do every one of you have things that you can look to in your life and go, there it is? Yes, you do. If you don't, we need to talk because your mind is set wrongly. And he's saying, we need to talk. Set your minds on the things that you know are these things and think on them. Why? Look at this. Then he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In Colossians he will write and say, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews will write in Hebrews chapter, um, chapter 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You see, the, the clarity of the New Testament authors, as was the clarity of the Old Testament authors, is that our journey in setting ourselves on Christ is not one that will be the natural part of us, right? He didn't say, I don't understand why you're not thinking about Jesus. 
I mean, things are bad, but look at him. Now he's like, oh gosh, no, no, I get it. It's going to be hard. So here's what you need to do. You need to set your mind. You need to fix your eyes. You need, to, you need to press on and forget what's behind. You need to think on such things or in Jeremiah's word. But this I what? Call to mind. You see Jeremiah's active response to that. I'm here. Everything I see, experience, and feel is telling me something. So I stop and I go, whoa, I'm going to what? I'm going to call to mind. So then I was like, okay, that's amazing. I could end the message here. Everybody go home. Call to mind the faithfulness of God. But you're going home to like real stuff that will call to mind other things. You know what I'm saying? Not always good words. Just driving home will be enough to call some things to mind. So, so how do I do that? What does that look like? And the last piece of the puzzle landed and we close and finish here. Here's the last piece of the puzzle. So I was in a, um, a, one of our staff leadership meetings this week. And we were, we were going around the circle and asking the question, what is something that you're taking from 2021 that was a profound lesson or learning? And then as you look forward to 2022, what is something that you feel like this I really want to hold on to? So many of us, we kind of choose words. You know, this is my word for the year. We, we do that and it's beautiful and it gives you something to fix and focus on. So Kerry Waters is sharing and she says, you know, one of the things I've encountered recently is the word behold. To, to behold God. And, and in 2022, I want, to, I want to behold him more. And then she describes briefly this word behold. And she says, do you know that the word behold actually means to absorb? You're like, what? So do you know what the word behold means? Have you ever thought about this? It's one of those words that we hear, we know what it means, but we don't. Do you know what behold means? Yeah, totally. What does it mean then? You know, to behold something. Yep, sure does. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. To like see it? Yes, kind of. But then you would just say, see this thing. But when you bring the word behold and it's different, you know that the word behold is used in scripture 1,574 times? 1,574 times God says, behold this thing. Behold this truth. Behold. What does behold mean? So I went to the dictionary because I'm like, well, the dictionary sometimes knows stuff, sometimes not, but this time it did. Listen to this dictionary. So I could read you the behold definitions, but they're not nearly as much fun as the thesaurus where it gives you the opposites and the similarities. This gives us a clue to behold. Listen to this. Here are the words that they put in the dictionary to say, behold, here are the words that are the same. You can sort of, these are similar words. To catch, to consider, to contemplate, to discern, to distinguish, to earmark, to eyeball, to note, to notice, to observe, to perceive, to absorb, to scan, to see, to spot. So it's like, it's saying, behold, isn't just to see or to look. It is to take in. It is to understand. It is to absorb. It is to consume. It is to consider. So when we say, behold one another, we are to see, to engage, to, to be concerned about one another. Behold the Lord, we are to see. It is a calling to mind of things. Listen to the opposites. This is awesome. The opposite of behold. Behold or the opposite. Do not behold. Yeah, but what does that mean? Okay, here it is. This is crazy. Listen. To disbelieve, to discard, to disregard, to forget to ignore, to look away, to miss, to misunderstand, 
to neglect or to overlook. Do you see now why there's 1,574 times that God says, you ought to behold me a lot? Because the opposite of behold is to what? To forget, to ignore, to neglect, to, 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 to misunderstand, to disbelieve. So we ought to behold the Lord and we ought to behold one another so that we can see and understand and engage. And so God just kind of gently said to me, 2022, yes, I want you to turn a new page, but the way you're going to turn a new page is by calling to mind who I actually am and who you are in me and who you are to each other. And the way you do that is to behold, to pay attention. And right then a scene came to mind, one I love. There's a movie called The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Because I like pictures in my head. If I have to remember something for a whole year, I'm dead. Unless I have a picture in my head like, oh, that's what behold means. So this picture in all my years, this is the picture that's always to me felt like what it means to behold God, to absorb God among everything else. So in this movie, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, which I highly recommend you guys should watch. It's like PG. They still exist. It's such a good movie. It's an allegory for foster care. So this little boy is born in a garden. It's an allegory. And he has leaves on his legs. And so he kind of functions more like a plant. He comes and he goes. And he's part of this family. And there's this scene in a park where he's playing dodgeball with all the other kids. And this psycho dad who's, you know, the dodgeball dad. Like, it's my dog. Death. And so he's getting pummeled by this ball and he's trying to play and understand, but he can't. And something happens, the oddest thing. And he does something. And in that moment, I remember the first time I saw it, I thought, that's how I want to be with God. Take a look at the scene and I will explain. That's not normal. Short little moment, isn't it? But as the sun comes out, Timothy Green, the little odd boy, in the midst of a dodgeball game, which is kind of like our whole life, isn't it? I mean, isn't your whole life like a dodgeball game? At work and school and marriage and kids and family and friendships, you just like constantly like, I'm ready, you know? And it's like in the middle of this dodgeball game when the sun, the clouds clear and the sun comes out, he stops everything. He just puts his arms out and turns himself toward the sun from which he can draw what he needs. And this is how God describes himself to us. I am your sustenance, your constant, your everything, your all the time. And what you need more than anything else is not to become really good at dodgeball, but to be able to stop in the middle of dodgeball in regularity and just go, I need you. I need you. And I need to behold you, which means I'm going to have to stop. Now, I don't highly recommend in the middle of a college class while the professor's teaching, you just stand up and go, I'm just having a behold moment. Give me a second. Although you're welcome to try. But man, I hope that you and I can begin to 
add into our regularity of dailiness in the dodgeball game we play of life, a constant rhythm of ceasing internally and just saying, hold on, hold on, Renault, hold on. Whoa, those balls are flying everywhere. And this is like, ah! I'm going to call to mind this. And in it, I will find hope that his faithfulness never ceases and his mercies are constant and new every day. And it is in that and in him that I have my hope. May 2022 be a year for us where we don't find a better year because we find a better set of circumstances. I hope we do. But let it not be that which determines this year for us. But may this year be a profoundly different year for us where we turn a page, we forget what is behind, and we move on toward the call we're called to because we learn better than ever to behold the Lord and to behold each other and to experience the beauty of what God intended for us in finding ourselves in him and being one because of him and serving each other as we serve him together. 2022, you can be a big, giant, armored transport, and I can be little Luke Skywalker, but I do not stand alone, whatever you might bring, for I stand in the one that I behold and that I call to mind as my rock and my savior and my hope, the ever faithful God of mercy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible and extraordinary revelation in your word from Old Testament to new, that in the midst of our greatest celebrations and in the midst of our greatest laments, that we have been given because of who you are, the grand privilege and calling to regularly stop and call to mind, set our minds on, fix our eyes on, whatever we might say as you've described it multiple ways, to call to mind who you are and what you have done for us and who we are in you. And in so doing, to turn ourselves and to behold, to absorb, to take in, to consider, to discern and to understand who you are. God, may we not be a people in the midst of the dodgeball game of life that forget or neglect or ignore or don't see or miss the extraordinary constant realities where beauty resides in the midst of chaos. God, instead of only seeing an ocean that drags your feet out from under you and sucks you under the waves and throws you the sharks, May we begin to remember that there too we get to serve. And instead of just seeing a bunch of cockroaches on the bottom of the ocean, that sometimes they can be the most extraordinary meal. And God, that oftentimes, that is the very things that started as a hard thing to try to survive that becomes a soul-soothing thing of standing quietly and enjoying fishing. God, so many things you've shown us on this planet that are the collision between the difficult and the beautiful. And may we find those excellent and praiseworthy and wonderful things, not because they and of themselves give us hope, but because we are beholding you. And so living in you informs now how we behold each other. And then living with each other under you now informs the way that we behold the world we live in. Through your eyes, 
setting our hearts and minds on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy, wonderful. Help us, God, to do this because it is not our natural tendency. Help us to call to mind your faithfulness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.